Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. We are twitching live. Um, I'm in a very sexy hotel room. Uh, <laughs> deep blue background. They asked me what mood I was in. And I said, I'm in the mood for blue. So they've given me blue and it's uh, it's a little bit overbearing. Looks a little bit weird. Uh, so that's just to set the context there. Johnny, where are you right now? I'm just in the, you know, bog standard Johnny Towers, you know, five star luxury that I live in every day. The Henri poster is coming for free. So, you know, um, but no, it's so good that we are taking advantage of the visual medium on Twitch because other people, our listeners get to see where you are right now. It looks like a seaside bedsit, quite frankly, the kind of thing where you'd expect to be getting some. Some seaside rock and some fish and chips, that kind of vibe, you know. Maybe Brighton, I'm thinking. It's um it's 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 definitely odd. I I, th- I thought that the blue would be relaxing, but it's not. It's 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 a bit depressing. Um but um 
uh, talking of depressing, let's let's just get straight onto the first subject. I'm gonna uh, <laughs> wind this window out because we've got plenty of depressing things to talk about uh, today. Um, let's talk about Bakayo Saka um, and the weird uh, four weeks that he's had, the sad culmination that was the penalty miss, and maybe we'll touch on some of the other topics there. But Johnny, let's just lean in on the positives. What did you what did you feel about Bakayo Saka and um, and the performances that he put on through the Euro 2020 tournament over the last month. Yeah, well, so overall, when we say lean into the positives, in terms of Bukayo Saka's play on the field, um, there are only positives. There are no negatives. The fact that he missed a penalty is neither here nor there for me. If anything, he comes out with more credibility and kudos because... The fact is, he's 19 years old. He's not a geezer who's, you know, been knocking away penalties week in, week out. But he had the bottle to stand, stand up and go, yeah, I'll have one. You know, it's not easy. This, like, I, I've been in, I've been in, like, footballing games myself at my level, which is like, you know, Hackney Marshy stuff. And when you're in a penalty shootout, which I have been, it's not easy to just knock them in. Suddenly you start getting a bit jittery. People start falling over. And of course, that's because the turf's terribly maintained. But, on the same note, it's about your legs go a bit of jang- jangly when you're at that stage of a competition. And for me, when a 19-year-old is willing to step up and um, take on that responsibility, I don't think that it should be something that, you know, if he then goes on to miss, it should be really be held against him. I think, if anything, it's more of a, you know, a reflection of his character and his confidence, largely, um, that he was willing to do it. So... For me, everything that he did on the pitch during the Euros was an absolute blinding success. I thought that, um, and I don't want to go down a revisionist history too much, um, because ultimately England had a really good tournament. But I do think, and I said it before the game, that I thought Saka should have started the game. I know that the goal actually came from the two wing backs, obviously Trippier, who come in for Saka, was heavily involved. But on the same note, I just felt it handed, for the way that England were playing and progressing through the tournament, Saka, for me, you know, I, I, I hope that people saw it the same way as I did, you know, as, as Arsenal fans, I think, did. Because for me, it was all about him. Him and Sterling, he was so often the the catalyst for, you know, big, successful, um, dangerous dangerous movements within the team. He was often the geezer who would just give it that fuck it moment, the Bakary Sanya, whack, have it. You know, it was the, give me the ball in the feet, around the halfway line, fuck it, I'm going to run around everyone and just cause some carnage. And to be honest, I, I think that, again, I said it last week, we're not talking in that. Of course, he's not really, um, he has no sale on price right now because we he absolutely is centrepiece to everything we want to do at Arsenal right now. But I think his value in general has shot up by about, you know, 50 million. I'm not even joking. I think he looks like everything that we expected him to be, which is one of the best young players in Europe by by a country mile, from my opinion. In my opinion, yeah, he's um, he's quite a he's quite unique in the sense in how he just seems to have love from everybody. Like he's beloved by the squad. He's beloved by fans of other clubs. Uh, he's he, he just feels like a national treasure, and he's only nineteen years old. And um, you know that one of the things that I didn't like, that I don't like um, after games like that, it's the patronising. Oh, poor little child, letting him take a penalty. I didn't see it that way. I thought, good for you, Bakayo. You put your hand up. 
That's that's a big man mentality. You stepped up, you missed. That happens in in football at the highest level. Donnarumma is probably the scariest goalkeeper to take penalties against because he is absolutely huge. Um, and I'm just glad that most of the media are sticking up for all the players that miss the penalties. Most proper fans uh, are standing up to the players. And I, I just sort of layer this over what it was like when Beckham missed the penalty and when Southgate missed the penalty. And it was like burning effigies. And it doesn't feel like it's going to be that way this time. Uh, you know, someone um, someone messaged me earlier about mediocrity and that England celebrate mediocrity. And I, I absolutely disagree that getting to the final of, of, a, of a European international competition is mediocrity. That is the exact opposite of mediocrity. Going to, uh, you know, through the whole game, conceding one goal is the opposite of mediocrity. Like, whether you like the tactics or not, they got us to a final, and, you know, we were within a couple of penalties of, of taking the trophy home, and it's players like uh, Saka uh, that, that helped that. That weren't, that weren't just bit part players, you know, weren't just like Theo Walcott sitting on the touchline when he was 16 years old. They were integral, you know, they they contributed positively. And I'm just glad that it happened at the start of his career because those are the those are the moments that make you tougher when you're 24, Arsenal are in the Champions League final and you get that chance to, to rectify that penalty miss. Um, and, and we're winning a big trophy because of um, what happened. So... Um, I'm sad that he missed the penalty, but I'm happy about all of the bits that go into that decision to put your hand up. And even, let's take it back, like Gareth Southgate took a chance on a 19-year-old with a fifth penalty. What does that say about what he's delivering behind the scenes? His maturity, you know, his strength. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's important. And I am glad that it seems like the way the media narrative is going is like, let's look after these players because the World Cup is next year and we've gone semi-final, final. Maybe we can win something next time. Well, I think you you have to look at it like that. Um, you know, the whole point is, is, and I don't think England are alone in this, but I think they are prime examples of nations who get a little carried away during a, you know, good run in a, a tournament. Obviously, the old... Um, motif of its coming home does start to catch on and and we were being given quite good encouragement to believe that it may well have come home. Turns out it hasn't come home. <laughs> it's gone somewhere else for at least another four years. Well, World Cup, so we'll, we'll think about that. That can come home. But, um, you know, the thing is, is you have to look at it uh, and contextualise the performance in this tournament and it's the best performance in 50 years. The last geezers who've done better than this, they get wheeled out now. Many of them ain't alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it. And the rest of them have just been set for life. They're made men. It's like this geezer, 1966, he done it. Brilliant, right? He's still, you know, still getting wheeled out every couple of years. That is how legendary it becomes once you start to push on um, this deep in terms of um, international tournament success. It's just not done all the time. So, Trying to even bring up the, you know, issues with that Beckham faced in light of missing a penalty or, you know, other people before him, David Batty, Southgate himself. It, it These were never at the final. That's one of the reasons it was like we could never get over that stumbling. But we have already done that. We've made history. And it's not just that you got to a final or as the semi-final looked last year where 
got to the semi-final, then ultimately got outclassed by Croatia and looked like we did, we'd kind of been lucky to be there. We didn't look lucky to be there in the final this year. I thought Italy, pound for pound, um, you know, looked the better team, but that was because of, uh, by the end, we were playing very negative. And again, I think Saka's omission um, kind of accentuated that. I thought that that's the geezer who provides so much danger along with Sterling, and it gives Sterling room to play, that you within him, he he is the reason why you don't get pinned in so much because he's such a dangerous threat on the break. I, I've loved watching him run with the ball this um, this tournament. He looks like he's really gaining that. He's always been a good dribbler, but he looks like he wants to take that responsibility and cause carnage. And you know, as much as we say it as well, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to go too far here, but for all the Arsenal fans that praise Jack Grealish and, and rightfully so, great player. Well, at the end of the day. Saka was getting picked over Grealish. And for me, when when they both played, and I do think Grealish is a good player, but Saka looked every bit as effective at the highest level of competition than a Jack Grealish would. It was only really Raheem Sterling that was a touch-up. So for me, I think we're staring down the barrel of a geezer who has cemented himself, as far as I'm concerned, on at a youth level, one of the most, and I'm talking like top three most exciting young talents in Europe, in my opinion, um, and he's done it at a top level, which made it even more disgusting with what happened in the wake of that penalty loss um, because people really aren't appreciating what he can do and not aren't appreciating him as a human being. Yeah, and let's um, let's talk about it because it's it's a shame that it's the same old, same old. You knew what was you knew what was going to happen. It's it's absolutely standard fair after a disappointment in football and it's disgusting and I just wanted to get um wanted to get your take on it and what you know if or if anything can be done like what what's your what's your view of that sort of behavior after after the game um I think you hit the nail on the head when we talk about the fact that for me the saddest thing about all of this was the predictability of it it was as soon as you got uh, a situation unfolding where all the black players missed, all the white players scored, and the fact that anyone even thinks along those lines is disgusting in itself. But on the same note, you know there are some that do it because of the... For me, I think that, you know, we'd be remiss. I thought Tyrone Ming spoke brilliantly on his Twitter page when he called out the Home Secretary for for challenging um, the players taking the knee you know, and they've said, I don't care. I know there's some people who start talking to me on Twitter about this. First of all, I'm fully behind the knee anyway. I don't care if they ain't. But the fact is, is I am very staunch on the fact that you do not boo it. Whether you whether you agree with it or not, I, I couldn't care less. But do not boo the knee. Otherwise, for me, that painter is a racist. That is how I see it. There is no reason why you need to take so much uh, opposition to what they're doing when they're openly telling you it's against racism. So that's where that's where I am, and it, it's as simple as it really is as simple as that for my money. Um, but obviously, when you've got senior politicians coming in, you know, trying to appease those that boo it, and and somehow that whether they like it or not, that validates it. So for me, this has been one of the most politically charged international tournaments. In the wake of the racial climate that we find ourselves in, very racially charged, of course, but that's because things are happening. And the players want to make their own stand because we can't keep doing this every year. 
going out to various, oh, we had a match in Bulgaria. There was monkey charts. There's bananas on the pitch. And it's, yeah, someone should really do something about that. You know, and and I completely get, you know, these are complete complex issues. But I think at times in England, there's this attitude like, you know, you wait for a terrible, like all these European countries, it's really racist, you know, and kind of skating over the fact that we've got a fair few problems ourselves still. Like, let's not, I do think we're better than a lot, but we've certainly got these absolute scumbags in um, in our country and, you know, get, getting involved in football. And I just think that ultimately the fact that there are people who can support the the national team and come out and directly just respond with racial, really, really disgusting racist abuse in the wake of a penalty misses like that's that happened. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter whether the players play badly. He should never have to suffer racial abuse due to any kind of, you know, in uh judgment on that player's performance. At the end of the day, we're talking about respect of human beings, and that should come before everything else. So it was disgusting to watch it, and obviously, you know, you can see why certain minorities will feel disenfranchised by watching England in future, because you feel like I don't know if I want to be involved in the same cheering mob that may be chucking bananas and, and, and calling people monkeys at the end of the, the game. So, you know, it's it's really disappointing. But the, what is encouraging is that so many voices have come out resolute that we stand united against it. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely spot on about everything there. It's... um. I just saw a piece that said that they did a, they ran an analysis post game of where the abuse was coming from. They said that seventy percent of it comes internationally, but that still means there's a big chunk of thirty percent that happens in England that shouldn't happen. And what's even more discouraging is people are so bold at the moment that they'll just put it on their own names. They've got proper jobs; they're estate <laughs> agents, and they're posting it like. Like it, it, they've completely normalized that sort of behavior um, online. And, you know, the thing that people don't want to talk about is when you go to England games, you see it. Yeah, you hear yeah. it. It's not, yeah. a, it's not a fringe thing. These sort of uh, backwards 1980s chants, they go off, particularly uh, England games where everybody's like whipped up into a national frenzy. And, uh, you know, the, 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 disappointing thing that you keep that you read from a lot of the black players is it's like we're um and actually a lot of foreign players in other countries say it but it's i think karen benzema said when i score i'm french when i miss i'm arab yeah uh, yeah nothing nothing captured why the players take the knee um quite like some of the horrendous stuff that went off in the aftermath but the the main um and i I know that it's probably dictated by the feed that i have um and the people that i follow but generally, I felt like there was a lot of love from everybody. And, you know, all the normal people in England rallied around that. Like, the, nobody was quiet about how disgusting it was. You know, even the Sun newspaper came out and rallied behind it. And I know that they've got horrendous past and, you know, we shouldn't be looking to them as moral arbiters. But, you know, the the, the press is behind the players. Um, the normal public is behind the players. And I don't think there will be any sort of normalization of bad behavior against those players in the stadiums next season. I'm hoping that we've moved to the next level. And, and I was thinking back to the the last major tournament. I thought Gareth Southgate did a pretty good job of making sure that we're all behind the players. Um, and I think he did a really good job after. I don't think it's, I don't think it's cool to scapegoat anymore. 
I think we've moved past that with this squad of players that everybody seems to love. You know, there's no one, there's not an England player that we don't love, right? Is that, you know, like, I, f- I feel like in uh, teams of yesteryear, Steven Gerrard, oof, you know, there were, there, 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 were, there were players that really sort of polarised, but I, what I like about this new group of players coming through, they get their heads down, they love football, they're all gifted, and they leave it all on the pitch. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that England players of the past didn't leave it all on the pitch, but there was certainly a perception that they didn't. Um, so uh, I know that it's it's a horrible situation for so many people, but the utter disgust from so many big names um, across the board, I think is at least a positive that when we get back into the stadium, we're not going to see more of that horrible Instagram stuff filter through. Well, yeah. I mean, again, in um, in concert with you on the points you made, but I, there's a, one thing that we can. I, I'll just correct you on. Um, you did say an estate agent, called, a former estate agent, he's been sacked. I mean, he he's, sacked. He's, yeah, yeah, he's been suspended straight away. He's complained that it was wasn't him. He got hacked. Yeah, hacked. Apparently, um, we'll see. I don't. I don't know. But at the end of the day, this is what we want. It's accountability. Um, I, uh, a, a great commentator, uh, some of the comments on our um, pod and whatnot, Arsenal knows on Twitter. Shout out to you, mate. He, um, he messaged on Twitter as well. He put a tweet and he said, um, basically, that social media companies need to do more to root out this racism, uh, you know, and just stop it. And I understand that. But for me, it's not about stopping it. It's about finding these people and having criminal convictions because... You need to properly police this situation. And these people need to realise that there will be consequences to them acting in this despicable way because as a society, we won't accept it. And, you know, just on, like, former teams and stuff, you know, this is currently the team I have felt the most connected to, arguably, in my life, to be honest. The manager, I think, is just a solid good guy, Gareth Southgate, um, yeah. Obviously, we've got Saka involved, that Arsenal bond, and, and you just absolutely love Saka. He's just a dream player right now to to be that guy from our academy and really embodying what it means to be Arsenal in the in the modern um, era. So he's so exciting. But also, there are no scumbags like John Terry. Like it was hard for me to follow and and support England when you thought about John Terry lifting the cut. Like I don't want to see him happy. He's a, he's a vile, horrible man. So. I I can't fully. Some people can do it, but that's because I don't think that they felt the pain when you see how John Terry acted with with the whole scene of Anton Ferdinand. You know that that stays with me. I'm not going to just let that go and go. Come on, it, it don't work like that. It's the same reason why I didn't want to sign Luis Suarez. Never, were, even though he's a fantastic player. I'm like, no, I don't because. The reason why I have so much more affinity with Arsenal is because I think Arsenal represents me a lot more than certainly previous iterations of the England team ever have. And that's not just because they didn't always have Arsenal players. But, you know, when I go Arsenal, and I know that some of our fan base are those kinds of twats that you might see, you know, in in different... Every club has them. But largely, I I get around the fans and I feel proud to be an Arsenal fan. Like, they carry themselves well. I do believe that. Um, and I've I just haven't seen like the kind of racist bile that you see at sometimes other clubs, certainly at international football. And I don't think we'd accept it at Arsenal. And that's one of the things that makes me proudest to be an Arsenal fan. Um, when I look at we ha- do have an issue with the Y word and the Tottenham, 
you know, kind of rivalry. I, I stand strongly against that as well. And, and Arsenal fans do need to, you know, wake up to that and, and get realistic. I think it's disgusting when it does kick off. But in general, I think we're quite a, a, a diverse, you know, um, supporter base that are very accepted and our heroes can come from anywhere, quite frankly. We're just all in for Arsenal. And that's what I love about being an Arsenal fan. Yeah. Would, uh, it- I, I, agree, I agree with all of those points. The one thing that I did want to um, just briefly touch on, yeah, I, I, I get social media companies um, don't bear responsibility for disgusting people, but they do bear responsibility for allowing it to flourish. You know, we've just spent four years seeing what, you know, disinformation does to to people and I think that you can get quite radicalized off of Facebook, off of Instagram. And I think people are encouraged by the fact that there is, there are no repercussions off the back of sending messages. If Instagram can take down a birthday video of me that my friend made me because it's got a Kenny Loggins track on the background, they can identify that there is a black athlete that runs an account and that the monkey emoji is never, ever a positive. They can identify a whole slew of words that just immediately get rejected back to you. Sorry, you can't say that on any account. You know, like, and, and people, oh, it's the police state. No, it's not. It's common decency. And we've seen what happens when bad people get deplatformed. And there's no, there's no gray area, generally, right? There might be 1% gray area. In, in these sorts of things. But 99% of people that use certain words, certain emojis, and say certain things, it's 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 ill intent. And yeah. I, I I think that if if something endangers a social media platform's revenue, they've got solutions. You ever tried to share a football clip on Twitter? Gone in 25 <laughs> seconds. Okay, you know, th- th- there are there are certain things that get you in trouble. And I don't understand how they can be so, so, I know why they can be so slow because it doesn't affect revenue. You know, these words create the rage that creates the profit for the brands. It's part of the engagement ecosystem and it, and it needs to be stopped. So I I agree that there should be full, full, full accountability, but I also think that um, technology companies saying that they can't do these things, you know, we're, we're, we're landing, we're landing rockets on helicopter pads, like I think we can solve something as basic as saying terrible words on the internet um, to to young athletes. Yeah, definitely, and I, I agree with that. But again, I would still err on the side of accountability. I I do think that you're completely right. It it doesn't need to be that long to take it down. And I do get the fact of you know that being visible could ha- aid radicalization. I, I I think you're speaking really well there. It's just that for me, at the end, there have to be prosecutions out of it. Because I tell you what, it would happen a lot less if you knew your mate, Danny, who says a few things when he's at a point. Oh, yeah, guess what? Dan- Danny's doing two months. Danny's doing two months inside, mate. You know what I mean? He's lost his job. That's what I want to start seeing. Shout out to all the Dannys out there that aren't viral racist. But... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right, um, so let's let's move on to the next topic. But um, just to let you know, our, our new reserve goalkeeper dropped an absolute howler. In the Hibernian game after 20 minutes, feeling bad for him at the moment, miscontrolled the ball. We are 1-0 down. Welcome to the next season. It's exactly the same as the last season. 
Uh, it's, Arthur it's, a Conquo. Yeah. There you what? go. I paid seven ninety nine for this. Seven ninety nine. <laughs> right. Let's move on to the next topic uh, because this got a lot of people talking last week. Emil Smith Rowe, Aston Villa dropping derisory bids. Their fans getting really excited. Gabby Ogbon Lahore uh, saying that he's heard that the deal could go through. It's not happening. It's not happening. Smith Rowe is going to sign for um, the Arsenal. I wanted to get your take though. Because obviously you're going to be excited about that because he's another one that if he has another good season, he's going to be a treasure like Bukayo Saka. Um, Smith Rowe is playing the numbers game. He's covering that little number up because when he signs the deal, he's going to reveal that he is either an eight or a 10. Which way would you roll the dice on this one? It's funny, isn't it? I mean, I'll tell you what, as an Arsenal fan, someone can hear, someone listening to this would be able to hear me smiling. You know, when they say like you can hear something like I am, I'm actually a little bit excited about this because it's like numbers do mean stuff. They do like this, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in a, in an army or a, a police force or whatever, and you get different ranks. Like when you start getting handed the number 10 shirt, have you, I mean, guys, anyone listening to this, if you've been in an amateur football club, and you start going, trying to dig your hand into the to kit bag to work out which shirt you're going to get. And like, there's only two, number two left or 15. And then you know you ain't getting on. Like, number 10 means something. It does at every single level of football through to, through to the Premier League uh, and international, obviously. It, different numbers carry different weights. And in the same way, I was very excited when Bukayo Saka got number seven and got to continue on that wonderful tradition of very skillful, dainty, big-impact players who weren't necessarily the absolute talisman on their own, but had potentially season-affecting form if they could get hot in the way that I'm thinking Bobby Perez. You know, I'm thinking um, in the way that a number 10... And I am revealing which way I want it to go. Uh, a number 10, when you think about not only the Lord Burkamp, but also even Robin at his height, you know, it's a big number to have. Everyone knows that. And if Valaka is not going to be around, then it would probably be only right to get the new Perez in Saka and the new Burkamp. <laughs> the new Burkamp in Emil Smith-Rowe, and then just give Gabby, Gabby Martinelli or um, uh, Balagun an opportunity to battle it out for 14 when Aubameyang goes, and then we'll have the complete set and we can go again. So for me, give him the number 10, because visually it would excite me, in the, especially with the blonde hair as well. You Ooh, know what I mean? Yeah. So a little, little blonde hair, just a little flicks. That I, it may actually even generate... Um, inspiration for him to get to a new level. That might sound a bit, you know, just hyperbole, but I actually yeah. reckon sometimes you play up to the role that you've been ordained. Do you know? Yeah. You know, what? You know the other thing that it does, if you give him the number 10, it says the new vision of Arsenal is we are building around young, exciting, technically gifted players. Sends a statement to Europe. It says, don't, you don't need to go to Dortmund. If you're good enough, you can come and get games with us. It means that maybe the next Erling Haaland is lining up in an Arsenal shirt. Um, and it tells a story 
to all the young kids that we've got coming through the academy. I think one of the most impressive things that Edu has managed to do in in the last year is all those players that we thought were going have stayed. Flo Balogun, none of us thought we had a chance. We all thought he was going to go to to, to the Bundesliga. Uh, Saka, fairly easy to get him to sign a new deal. Martinelli, no drama. Smith Rowe, feels like it's going the way of of no drama. And I think that that says something about whatever's going on behind the, the, the scenes in the training ground. They must have said there will be minutes for you this season. Even Kiddo Hart looks like he's going to sign a new deal. The goalkeeper that's just made a, that made an error. I, I can't pronounce his name yet. A Conquo. Uh, he just made a brilliant save. Um, but, you know, he's going to sign on to a new deal. He's third choice keeper. He can make errors. But we're starting to build out um, a bit of an identity. The squad has is starting to get a bit of vibrancy about it. And I, I thought the, the Portuguese left back that signed recently was really interesting when they asked him, um, Tavares, you know, what excites you about Arsenal? And he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to play with the Smith because he's part <laughs> of my generation and also Bakayo Saka. So it shows that, you know, you give young players a chance. Um, you give them opportunities in minutes. They talk to each other. They talk to their agents and say, I would love to go to the Premier League. Do I want to go to Manchester City and sit on the bench for three years? Or do I want to go to Arsenal? And if I put in the hard work, I'll get minutes and I'll hit levels like Saka. I'm being picked to take a penalty in, in, in an international championship. So, um, I, I, you know, I say, I say all that it, a 10 is a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, but then, but then so is a number eight. And I like, I, I wonder whether he's more of an eight than a ten, uh, because he's you know can dance in and out. And I'm ju- I'm just curious as well. If you're going to sign James Madison, is he coming and not getting a ten? Are you going to spend seventy million on a player and he doesn't get a ten? It just I don't know. It would it would be bold, but it would excite and it would say we have faith in your abilities. But you'd you'd really have to step up the level of output next season. I mean, he'd have to hit the ground running. I'm looking for 15 goals, 15 assists. That number means something. Yeah. I First of all, like, <laughs> we are having to generate excitement because we haven't signed, we've signed one player who, again, we'll go over it, but makes weird videos. And yes, we love the nicknames he's given for young Emil. Um, the Smith is excellent. Got there's, 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 there's it, it's reminiscent of Agent Smith in the Matrix. You know, just an absolute bad man turns up in a suit, takes you out. Yeah. The Smith. I, I do like that. But on the same note, um, apart from the fact that, uh, you know, it's a cool nickname, it more sounds like he didn't even know any of the players at Arsenal and his agent's gone, he's literally gone, who plays for Arsenal? And he's like, uh, Saka, uh, the Smith. Uh, and he's like, all right, give him the Smith. So that may mean that there's actually a lack of knowledge of our squad rather than a, an in-depth one. But, um, you know, I do think that the centralised um, players that we seem to be building around moving forward in, in terms of young players and, and uh, on a longer contract and the ones that are coming up for it, it is it does feel like the right decisions. But the problem is... Is that one of the issues? Is when you don't, when you have existing, um, more experienced players, some of them we paid a lot of money for. When these new players come through, one of the ways that you'd like to operate as a business is to move these guys on for cash. So that's how you generate your income so you can start 
going, right, we sold a player who got further on in their career for a reasonable fee, and then we've got a young player taking their position. When you have a young player coming through who are rightly saying, listen, I've just been given a number 10 or the number 8, I want a, a pay bump, I'm a serious guy, but yet you still have hanger, hanger honours that are part of an old Arsenal as as it's being sold, still earning top whack, can't get them out of the door, um, you know, can't get a fee for them. It starts to really worry you as to, great, we're building our future around young players, but we've got to make signings. And if that is being factored into the model of how, how much we're going to recoup in player sales, it's worrying that we can't get anyone out the door because that may well you know, speak to the fact that we might not be getting as many in as most of us would hope. So it remains to be seen. Yeah, they need to start. They need to pick up the pace. We're losing 1-0 to Hibs. Where is our, <laughs> Where are our big signings, Edu? Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I think that that is part of the, the model, right? Like, what, what's the point in signing Bertrand uh, if you could get Tavares for 8 million and sell him for 18 million? in a couple of seasons when he's got 50 Premier League games under his belt. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's all tracking positively. Let's just hope that this this push for youth can lead to a fast start as well because I, I don't want us to lose ground by selling off a bunch of senior players, replacing them with 21-year-olds from Belgium, and then it's six months of hell uh, like we had last year because that won't, that won't rub. Right, moving on. Two, the next subject, your favourite one, Johnny. We're just gonna we're gonna touch on this every week, even when he's gone. Um, Saliba goes home, so the 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 Ornstein was correct all along. Uh, William Saliba is very much part of Arsenal's plans. There's no sell on clause, and they're hoping to get him back next season. There's no new deal on the table. Saliba goes back to Marseille. What does this say about Saliba and his ambition? Why did he do this? Oh, I mean, you'd you'd be quite a good lawyer, to be fair. And I'm 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 just waiting for the you can't handle the truth uh, kind of <laughs> statement about Saber. The way you framed that, very charged, very charged in an anti Saliba uh, pro regime. We won't even say Arteta, but um, you know, it's not William Saliba's choice on its own. I think the club had a you know, different people rank him and rate him differently. They they say that he's not ready. And that's fine if they don't think he's ready. I just think, I don't know how you can come to that conclusion without seeing him. And what I am the most ardent on it is he should be given a chance. It's not that I think he should be given the armband and told you're getting 38 games next year. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, there's a game here where we've got Clark playing at centre-half, Mari, like... What's going on? You know, Hibernian are roughing us up. What is going on here? You're telling me that Big Bill Saliba can't get involved and, you know, provide a little something against Hibernian. Kolasinac just played a through ball to no one. (laughs) He just rolled it off the park. And and you know what? It it felt nostalgic. It felt like home (laughs) seeing him do that. He's back. Welcome back, Sayad. (laughs) Um, So... You know, again, I just think it's um, it's been really poor the handling of Saliba. I'm not even going to go too deep in it this week. Uh, last yeah, week, we don't need like it. He's gone. But, yeah, he's, but he's I do think it's. A... Sorry, um, I was just going to say I do think uh, overall it 
is a bad move from us to not include him at this stage. And I do, some of the people are like, oh, you know, we'll just sign him for longer and we'll just do this. It, it is just completely overlooking the fact that I think you, with these actions, may have alienated a player who might come back basically going, I'm, I'm not sure I even want a future here. And who knows, maybe he smashes it at Marseille this year. And if Arsenal have anything like the season we had last year, why would you want to come here? Just go, right, I'm out. I'm done. You don't trust me and you're not even great. That's the that's the issue when we really should be bringing him into that nest of young, exciting talent and saying, you are going to be, uh, we're going to give you every, we're going to give you every opportunity to make yourself integral to the new Arsenal and how we set up in future. Yeah, um, I, I'm happy for him that he's gone to a better club this season. I think Sampaoli is a very exciting manager. I mean, you just watch some of his teams play. I mean, um, his, his, the work they did for Chile, um, and I think briefly um, Sevilla when they had um, Sami Nasri playing for them. So he, he's a good coach. He's ruthless. It'll be a high-energy game. There's no... I think one of the accusations to William Saliba based on data is that he's he can be quite passive as a defender. I don't think you can play for San Paoli and be passive. So hopefully it's a strategic move, even though it would have been better if he was in the Premier League. A lot of people saying, well, if you go to Newcastle, you don't want to be on the back foot for 90 minutes all through the season. Um, go to Marseille. There's a you know there's every chance that you make top four next season. So let, let's hope that he has a, a another great season. Let's hope that he's considered next year and that maybe we have a sort of succession plan going. Maybe we sell um, one of the other fifty five centre backs that we've got next season and make a little bit of room for him. Um, on to the next one, another young player. We cannot stop talking about young players today. Uh, I want to talk about there it is Joe Willock. Let's oh, talk about right. Joe Willock. Uh, sensational. What, 12, go- uh, 12 games, seven goals. I don't know how many goals he scored. He scored a lot. He had a phenomenal run at Newcastle. They wanted to build a side around him. The rumours are that Arteta's considering keeping him in the mix next season. Is this fact or transfer fiction to whip up a frenzy for him uh, from Newcastle who will up their bid immediately? What do you think, John? Well, you know, you you have a and you're not the only one you've got a really good um a wonderful talent i would say for being able to take like a football season and choose which point you're starting from of where it counts this is true uh, yeah you know so apparently splicing yeah arteta if you make the right edit point is actually doing a sensational job got us up there top three and if you use the same splicing technique for, say, the last eight games of the season, Joe Willock is actually the best player in the league. So De Bruyne <laughs> is, is old news. That's done. Um, Joe Willock is, you know, the team that every the player that everyone wants. He shows up in big games. He scores every week. And um, we'd be mad, mad not to bring him back into the team. Um, no, obviously, I don't, I don't see it like that. Um, I think that um, if... The manager, and this is speaking with the, you know, without biases. This is just I want Arsenal to do well, and hopefully Arteta has a revelatory moment and is puts in, you know, a sensational effort this year and gets us where to where we need to be. But and if that manager has seen something in Joe Willock that he thinks this guy can genuinely get us over the line, I want to see it. That's fine. Like 
I'm not going to call it out and say no, no, no. Even though I'm, I don't really think that we should build a team man, Joe Willock. When you put together the end of the season like he had, it should be getting att- attention. If you're uh, to do your due diligence, if you're not allowing that to at least affect you a bit, I don't think you're paying respect to how hard it is to put on a, a goal scoring run like that. Of course, it doesn't mean that this player is certified quality, certified you know, European class level of player. It doesn't. Sometimes people have, you know, flash in the pan moments and they look brilliant for a couple of months. But at the end of the day, if he is even capable of going on a two-month spell where he scores every week, we should, and we are not above the level right now where we could simply dismiss it out of hand. So I wouldn't personally think that we should be building the team around him and it'd probably be better to get some money for him whilst his pl- price is inflated. But if Arteta wants to put his name out there and say, listen, I think this guy's got something to help us get to where we want to go, then why why shouldn't we give him a go? Because he's not shit. That's the point. That's what he has proved. He isn't shit. He ain't shit. Because you can't do that if you're shit. But whether he's good enough to get us over the line, the jury's still out. We It, it remains to be seen, yeah. Joe. I'm in, I'm in two minds on this one because if you go away on a loan to a Premier League club and you rip it up, and Newcastle were not a pleasant team to watch last season. Absolutely no ability in the final third. So for Willock to score that many goals in successive games was truly remarkable. And you've got to reward people for that. But the only, the only worry that I have is last season, we umdenard over a few players kept them in the side when maybe there were bids of, out there. Um, we've we've sort of created certain players' costs, or sorry, price tags. I'm thinking about Ainsley Maitland-Niles, had a great run into the FA Cup final, um, some near-man-of-the-match performances, putting big players in his pocket. And then the next season, his value's gone from whatever, Wolves offered 15 million. Would you get 5 million for him right now? I'm not so sure. So do you sell uh, at a high? Um, and I guess that's a question for the coaching staff, isn't it? Like, what do you see in training every day? Because it seemed like Freddie Lundberg really rated Willock. Emery really rated Willock. I think Wenger did before him. All of these coaches see something in his talent. It's just whether you can unlock it. And I, I think it's. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to focus with Willock. doesn't always seem completely switched on. And maybe spending time at Newcastle in a life-or-death situation is has been good for him in some way, shape, or form. So I'm, I'm, I'm in two minds on this one because like, who doesn't want to love Joe Willock, right? Who doesn't want to see a, another young player coming into the lineup? And what Joe Willock has that Arsenal don't is the ability to progress the ball with his dribbling. And we don't have that. We don't have those long, rangy legs running through midfield, picking up those late Freddie Lundberg runs. So if he could convert that at a higher level and maybe cut out some of the, the nonsense in his game, like, you know, he's he isn't the best passer of the ball. He gets dispossessed quite a lot. Doesn't always make the best decisions. But that that that's what comes with young players. Um, so it'd be a really interesting one, but I was, uh, I, I was a bit surprised to see that story doing the rounds because it felt a little bit like we were going back on some of the things that we did last season. But listen, if, if, if we've lost Saliba, then we can bring back Joe Willock and it tells the story that if you smash your loan up in the Premier League, um, then you get a chance in the first team the next season. So we'll see where that one goes. Um, next, next topic. This one will be familiar to everybody. 
Why can't we sell? Why are we so bad at selling players? Why does the summer start with a mass exodus and then we get a month into the summer and we're like, oh, actually, no one wants to buy Hector Bellerin for forty million pounds. Granite Xhaka hasn't hasn't had a bid for him bigger than twelve million. Why always Arsenal? What's going on here, Johnny? Is this just posturing or is this just standard Arsenal? This is this a legacy issue? It is a legacy issue. I don't think anyone could argue with that I mean this has been going on for quite some time now and we'll we've built our brand when it comes to what we are like as a selling club and that is hold out on them and they will give you what you want <laughs> for, for next to nothing we need David Dickinson out here so, like a geezer you know these guys off bargain hunt who can yeah <laughs> you know just try and stick them in an auction and just be like yeah, 30 quid like because I honestly think we'd probably end up with more by way of, um, you know, sales recouped. Because it's getting, it's so, it's not a one-off anymore. And this is what we talk about when we're saying legacies. Um, It happened a couple of times, you know, a few years ago. And you're like, oh, we've messed up some contracts there. Didn't sign people down. Obviously, Alexis Sanchez was a, a highlight of those where, you know, Robin Van Persie going on the cheap to United, although obviously asked to leave, but it's mishandling the contracts, Aaron Ramsey, you know, and getting nothing for these guys. But I think, you know, and I know that you used to previously talk about it, and one of the things that I did feel more comfortable with when Raul Senlehi was knocking about was I did think that he set out, and Sven for that matter, set out clear guidelines as to whether... If a player was reaching the last couple of years, don't care who you are. If you don't want to sign, you're out of the club. Bang, we're getting money for you. And it was that kind of, you know, strong approach that I thought had us set up better for um, tackling things and moving forward with regards to recouping value on our outgoing players. But that, with San Lehi going, just seems to have just dissolved into an absolute goop where we... Don't know how to get our players out. I mean, if you can't sell Joe Willock after that season, I know we just talked about him maybe going back, but, you know, you would be able to get money for him. Ainsley last year, Rob Holding before that, and I know Rob played some games and was good, but the fact is is that not everyone can stay, and we are going to have to move some of these guys on. And, of course, there's issues with regards to how much we're giving players on their contracts and buying them for and whether we've spent our money adequately. But selling is just as important a part of the transfer business um, for any football club. And we just really, really need to have a look at our practices around how we're getting these guys out and whether we're moving them on quick enough. That's why some other clubs seem seemingly are a bit more ruthless because they just don't mess around in the same way we do. And we, we get... It- we get caught up in all of this nonsense. It's like, oh, Leicester, they would like 70 million for James Madison. And then Newcastle are like, I would love Joe Willock, but we've got two million pounds. What do you think? And then we end up considering it and then we take it. Like, Hector Bellerin is a 25 million pound right back. He's 26 years old. Uh, Inter Milan just got 80 million for their right back who went to PSG. Don't don't take the well the begging cup nonsense. Go, we'll have some of that cash. Just transfer us half. You've made thirty five million profit on your on your right backs. It's obscene, and we get rolled every time. Now I I, I could tolerate this when it was Meza Erzl. 
you're like, well, no one's going to pay 350 grand a week for Meza Ozil. We've just got to accept that. There's, there's no value. There's no transfer fee for Ozil when he's on 100 grand a week. But some of these young players, 12 million pounds for Eddie Nketiah, England's uh, under-21 scoring superstar. Sorry, sorry, Palace, especially the way that Palace behaved with Zaha when they wanted whatever it was, 90 million a few seasons ago. We've got to start get, recouping some sort of feat. Granite Xhaka, he's 28 years old. He, he, he's in the midfield of the Euros. And, and Roma are like, we've, we've, got, we've got 12 million. Now, I believe that Roma genuinely don't have a lot of money. Well, I'm sorry. Let's find you somewhere else to go, Xhaka. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not a 12 million pound player. I'm sorry. So um, I, the, the selling thing is frustrating. I, like, I know that there are mitigating circumstances, but other clubs seem to be able to get fees for their players. We, we, we can't. It, it feels like broke clubs sort only sniff around Arsenal. It's like if if you're broke, you come into Arsenal. Like where are the where are the clubs that need uh, an Ainsley? Right, Ainsley's not a five million pound player. We should be getting twenty million pound for a, a young English player. So uh, I'm I'm interested and curious to see where Edu takes this because. He's doing a good job tying down players, but he can't keep on giving away players. I mean, I know it's good to get people off the books, but you've got to, you've got to start making money at some point. 100%. It's like, you can't keep... Like, these freebies, it's, it's, a, it's a joke. At the end of the day, these clubs are coming up to us, patting their pockets. Sorry, mate, all that fresh out of change. It's, it's, it's not good enough. And, you know, part of that comes from... So, I honestly think that... Not only is this uh, season, the next six to 12 months, a referendum on Arteta, it certainly is a referendum on the powers that be at Arsenal. And I think that there's a good argument to say that Arsenal currently, which is, you know, juxtaposed to how we've been seen traditionally, is Arsenal is one of the worst run clubs in the Premier League these days. And that's again, that's not me just throwing it up in the air. The fact that we can't move players on for even respectable prices, not even like, you know, trying to oversell, just get genuine market value. We're getting done all the time on our outgoing players, seemingly playing the over the odds for a number of other players going the other way. Like you mentioned, James Madison, we ain't getting him on the cheap. That's not gonna, they're not going to go, oh, yeah, go on then, give us what's in your pockets. It ain't going to be like that. We're going to have to pay top whack. And then, and in 70 the million for him, apparently. 70 million. It's madness, and if we do, if we can't start recouping fees, then I think there'll be nowhere left to hide for not only Edu. Um, again, obviously, there'll be other judging criteria with Arteta, but Edu, Vinay, you know, the, the spotlight's already on them. But if you're trying to prove that the dismay and uh, and just shocking performance of last season was a outlier, then this is your platform to show that you can do better. And right now, I don't, you know, you talk about signing some of our young players down. Great. But I, I think I'm not surprised Saka wants to say he plays all the time. He's from the Arsenal Academy. Smith Rowe, not surprised. Martinelli, we'll see how that goes. So, you know, I think I, at the moment, I don't think that our backroom staff are doing a good job. No way. No, no, no way. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's time to time to start getting some some good transfer fees um, for sure. And we've got talented players now. Hector Bellerin is not a shit player. I'm sorry, Granite Xhaka is not a shit player. 
we need to get some decent fees and, and hopefully we hopefully we will. And also, you know, on the James Madison thing, what I don't get is if if Arsenal have got 70 million for James Madison, would it, why aren't we looking at the broke clubs in Europe to say, well, we could get Hossamawa, we could get, uh, you know, two or three other like young, exciting, talented players and start building out the squad a little bit. And I know so far it looks like uh, Tavares, Ben White, who's really expensive, Lokonga. It seems like there's a mixed bag when it comes to it. But a 70 million is um, is a hell of a lot of money when Hossamawa is the sort of player that can boss a Manchester City midfield. He, we've seen him boss a Bayern Munich midfield. He's a real talent. And if he's going for 20 million, it would almost seem remiss not to engage there. And just on the, uh, the quick Hibs update, uh, Balogan is on the pitch. The keeper has uh, has been replaced at halftime. So Balogan getting a number 26. How do you feel about that? Yeah, That means good. he's in, right? He's a first-team player next season. Oh, well, I, don't, I don't know if we can completely do it off, off those kinds of numbers, to be fair. <laughs> when it starts getting in the 26s and stuff, it's like, yeah, you, you know what? You, you, no one's starting their brand off of FB26. You know, he's not going to have that number for long. He wants something bigger. He wants to be in the real mix. But I would, either way, he's come on at half time. That's great to see. I want to see a lot more action, action out of Balogun this year. If he is the guy that some people have really talked about, I'm excited by Ooh. what I've seen, but I want to see more. Oh, it's, it's a much What's better start to the game. It's a much better start to the game. Smith row on there, number 32. No uh, reveal yet. Oh, yeah, the old looks, school. Old school. Looks like Thomas Party's on there. But yeah, um, no, I would like Hossein Mouar if we could get him in, in a, you know, an economical way as well. I think, how did he, how could we be interested for 70 million last year and then this year, you know, 20 million or, you know what I mean? It's, it, it seems too much for us. I, I know he might not be at the same level of form, but if you're capable of that, you should be able to retain some value. So, yeah, either way, we need some new players because everyone knows that the current setup. Not well, strong we enough. can we we can take a little look at some of the comments from the internet because uh, we've got some people watching. Uh, we thank you for being here, Jewel, watching this while uh, while taking in the horrendous performance, Arsenal versus Hibs. Um, we've got uh, we've got JM Bam. Seems like we have problems with overseas player numbers because the squad is uh, 10 players heavy that we can't shift. So we end up paying premium for White and Madison. All consequences of past mismanagement. I think that's a pretty good point. The the homegrown quotas um, have been difficult this season. So, yeah, I, I just think that solving your homegrown problems by spending 70 or 120 million on two British players seems a little bit excessive. Um, Major General... What do you think the plan is for midfield this season, Johnny? Um, well, what do I think the plan should be or what do I think it is? Um, we're yet to see. Obviously, um, I'd like to see that Lakonga deal just finalised now and hurried up. If that's where we're going, then let's get that done. And I'd like to see him in with Tommy P ASAP so they can establish you know, that bonded brotherhood that we're talking about um, on the last pod. Um, and and for me, that is what I would like to see overall anyway, where it is a midfield that is much more, sent, not, not reliant completely, but based around athleticism, strength, pace, fitness. 
Um, so we are a physical match for anyone next season because obviously if there was an area to have replaced last year, as good as he was at times, Granite Xhaka's lack of mobility did get exploited and I think that's an obvious way for us to improve. So, yeah, midfield based around... Um, if it is Lakonga, Lakonga party, I don't know if there's going to be a late bid for Bissouma or someone of that ilk, but I'd be very much up for it. Um, a strong athletic player to go alongside party. Great. And uh, we've got we've got one more. This is more of a statement, but I quite liked it. Uh, Hayden, uh, we need a Dortmund or an RB Leipzig approach to developing players and transfers. Be the Premier League Dortmund. And I agree with this. I think Dortmund plus plus would be amazing. The only problem with a Dortmund plus plus model is you have to let your young superstars go at some point. It's like losing a like losing a family pet. I mean, everybody remembers what it was like to lose Cesc Fabregas, to lose Nasri, to lose Robin Van Persie. When that becomes part of your model, it's sad. So it's like, how could we do the Dortmund plus plus without always having to sell? Uh, our top players well I think I think the fact is with that and I've always bought into that as well uh, I think the fact is is that if you build the infrastructure out at the club to be able to have um, a kind of skeleton of an elite big big club that can generate huge revenues and can have top players then you don't you might have to sell to get into that revolution of the of of the model, so to get yourself going, some of your best players, like if Saka turns out to be world class right now, and you know scores twenty next year or whatever, in two years because the rest of the team might not be along with him, we might have to sell that first crop. But by the end, once you're back competing for things as well with this young these young um, with these young units then eventually you're like, well, actually, we're actually quite a wealthy club. We've got a, a hugely wealthy benefactor, even though we want him out of the club. There'll be someone else to step up if if he does go. So we don't actually need to sell these talented young players that are being given chances and are performing. And then, unlike Dortmund, we could actually end up hanging on to a whole crop of top, top youngsters. And that is how I think you could grow real champions uh you know uh, uh, in a way that we always hark back to the um Fergie can't win anything with kids comment from Alan Hansen but if you did that with a whole generation of young players like Wenger was trying um, yeah. but he ended up having to sell at this stage with the infrastructure of the club after a couple of good seasons we'd be more than self-sufficient wouldn't need to sell anyone and then hopefully by retaining all those stars that collection of stars who've played together we'd bear the fruits um, of some big tournament wins. Yeah, agree with that. It's uh, getting the, it's like the the circle of life, but for player transfers. And each time you sell a big player, you buy better players in behind them. And then you're getting the best crop. You're getting the Felix Zhao sort of, uh, sort of players in the end. But long way to go before we get there. We still got to beat Hibs. Um, <laughs> we'll, We'll round uh, we'll round off this. Thank you to everybody that took time out to watch this on Twitch. It was uh, it was loads of fun again. Really appreciate um, the the questions and comments. Johnny, do you want to tell people where they can find you outside of the Lagrove Arsenal opinion world? Uh, yeah, just get at me on my socials. Um, I'm at i Johnny Cochran. Follow me for more of my thoughts and things like that. You know, but basically. 
we've cre- we create a little bit of an echo chamber on Twitter these days where I'm retweeting Legrove Le stuff and vice versa happens. So, um, yeah, do get involved in that, guys. It'll be nice to get you in my little community. Brilliant. And if you're watching this and you've got an iPhone and you've, you've, you've heard it through Apple podcasts, go there and give us a five-star review. And um, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, I'll be in a better situation where I'm not holding my microphone cooped up in a, a very small hotel room. Um, but on that note, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.